Good morning and welcome to this week's home church lesson as we continue through the book of Joshua. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what you might have to say to us through your word today about who you are. We thank you that our hope is in Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. So this week, as we continue our study in the book of Joshua, we come to the story of Rahab found in Joshua 2. And the two spies Joshua sends out into Jericho are going to encounter this woman. Now, this might be a familiar story to you, but today I want you to listen carefully and to listen to the story as if it were the first time you have heard it because of the surprise factor. It's a story that we couldn't make up if we tried. It really is that ludicrous in some ways. And the surprise factor in this story is just a reminder to me of God's sovereignty at work, of His faithful hand, and that God works in ways that we often might not expect and that He uses the people that we would less expect for His glory. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and start walking through the text and break it into three different parts. And so first I'll read Joshua 2 verses 1 through 7 for us. And today I'm reading from the ESV. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the people of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them after on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So Joshua and the people are on the brink of the promised land. They're poised to enter into Canaan. And at first you might feel like this is a little bit of deja vu. We, we've been here before, right? Remember back when Moses sent in the 12 spies, including Joshua, to scope out the land and because of 10 spies saying that the land was not fit for them to enter because of the giants that were there and because of their fear, the people were punished and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. So maybe all of this is in Joshua's head because he was one of the two spies who said that the people ought to enter the land. And so because of that, perhaps he strategically just sends in two spies and he tells them to view the land, especially Jericho. Now Jericho would have been a strategic place for Israel to occupy as they came into Canaan because it was on high ground 
and it was also a trade route. Lots of people traveled through Jericho, and so it would have been an ideal place for the two spies to learn more about the land as they prepared to go in. But we get to this wrinkle here in the text. When they get into Jericho, they go to the home of Rahab, who is a prostitute. Now, this is one of those surprise factors in the text, isn't it? We wouldn't expect that these two spies would end up here. Now, the text doesn't hint at anything immoral happening, that they went to Rahab's house to participate in something sexual. In fact, the home where Rahab lived was probably some kind of inn or a place for wayfarers, a lodge. And so it would have been a likely place for two men traveling into the country to stay and a good place to gain information about Jericho. As I was reading the text and thinking a little bit about Rahab, I realized that sometimes we read stories like this in scripture and we get really hung up on the details that are not the true focus of the story. So Rahab is mentioned as a prostitute, which we all remember. But sometimes we forget this incredible declaration of faith that she's going to have at the center of the narrative. And we aren't told why she had entered into prostitution, if it was her own decision or perhaps it was because she was being forced into sex trafficking, which wouldn't have been uncommon for women in this era. We just don't know. When Rahab uh, welcomes the men into the house, notice that we also learn a detail about the king of Jericho. Now, Canaan was set up into the city-state, and so Jericho was a, like a city-state of Canaan. So the king of Jericho would have been, in our minds, like the, like the mayor, perhaps. But this king has found out about the men. But for some reason, Rahab chooses to hide the men, and she tells the king that the men have already left and the, the king ought to pursue them because the city gates are closed. Sometimes we also get into trouble when we approach narratives like this in the Bible because we expect them to be prescriptive, to tell us how we ought to live. So we can read this text and one mistake we can make is we can think, well, you know, Rahab ends up being this exemplar of faith. Does that mean the Bible is condoning prostitution or condoning lying because she lied to the king? Uh, we, can, we can easily fall in this trap of elevating these people in the Bible and expecting them to be sinless. And that's a mistake because the Bible is primarily a book about God. So the narrative here in Joshua is descriptive. It's describing Rahab's actions. And we'll see that what is at the center of this story is not that she was once a prostitute or not that she told a lie, but it's at the center of the story where we hear her confession of faith of who God is. And I also want to point out the sovereignty of God at work here. So these two spies might have entered Rahab's home because it seemed like a good place to stay, but it was the Lord who led them there for a purpose, which we're going to see more of as we turn to verses 8 through 14. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So the way this text is written, this passage is the meat of the text. Think of it like a sandwich. Don't get bogged down on the kind of bread that you're eating, but focus on the meat and what is at the heart of this story. And before we even dive into what Rahab has to say, notice how long she's talking. This is one of the longest uninterrupted narratives by a woman in a biblical narrative. We don't see Eve or Sarah or Rachel or Rebecca talking for this length of time in Genesis. But here we have Rahab, this prostitute, this Canaanite, who is speaking at length and has something to say about the Lord. So let's examine the meat of this and see what Rahab has to tell us about God. So first, Rahab declares that God is mighty. Notice that she reinforces this truth to despise that the Lord has told them that He has given them the land. So God has told them this over and over and over again as a way to give them confidence. And now they have this Canaanite woman saying it to them, reminding them of God's faithfulness and helping them to know that they ought to take heart. What God has told them, which is that the nations will hear of all of his mighty works and will fear him has happened. Rahab reports this to the spies. And she refers to several incidents in particular that tell us about the mighty work of God that she has heard about. First, she refers back to that event 40 years ago when the Lord parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through on dry ground as they fled out of Egypt away from slavery and persecution under Pharaoh. Then she refers to a much more recent incident. She refers to how the Israelites were able to devote to destruction the kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, this great defeat in battle that's just happened. And as Rahab recounts these events, we see that she believes that God is mighty. She sees what the Israelites have done and she confesses that they could have only done that if God was with them and that their God must be all powerful. This one who delivered them from Egypt and who gave them victories in battle. 
But not only does Rahab declare that God is mighty, she declares that God is majestic. She says that when the people of Canaan heard this news, that their hearts melted. And why is that? Because the, the Lord, Israel's Lord, she said, they realized was God. She realized this is the God of the heavens and the God of the earth beneath. You see, Rahab doesn't just believe that God is mighty and that he's done these things for the Israelites. In this declaration, she tells us that God is majestic and deserving of all praise. And this is a confession that would have been really striking for a Canaanite woman who grew up in a culture that believed that the various phenomena of the heavens and the earth were related to the works of different gods and goddesses. So you might give thanks to one God for the sun and one God for the rain. But we have this confession here from Rahab in Joshua 2 that Yahweh, in your Bible you'll see she uses uh, the, the all small caps, L-O-R-D. That's the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. This Canaanite woman says Yahweh is God of the heavens and on earth beneath. She declares that God is majestic over all. And finally, Rahab declares that God is merciful. If you look in verse 12, after her declaration of faith, she seeks God's mercy by asking the spies to help her and to deal kindly with her and with her family. So she asked the spies might save her family and might deliver them from death because she knows that apart from God's mercy, she is hopeless and helpless at this point. If the king discovers that she hid the spies, perhaps she'll face death. But when the Israelites come into Jericho, because she has said God has delivered this land to them, they are going to come in. When they come into Jericho, she knows that apart from God's mercy, she will face death because God has given the land to the Israelites. And so her saving faith doesn't just stop at marveling at God's work, but it takes action by seeking refuge in Him. As we pause here and we think about the history of Israel, in some ways this new convert to faith, this Canaanite prostitute, is more godly than many of the people of Israel who are going to come into the land. And why is this? So Rahab confesses her belief in God and she realizes that all of her metaphorical chips are in this basket, that apart from God, she is helpless. And the story of Rahab is also this reminder to me that God was never drawing lines or boundaries across strict ethnic lines. So God had given the promised land to the Israelites, yes, but, but being an Israelite was less about an ethnic heritage and more about professing allegiance to the Lord. And in fact, God's desire was always, always that the nations would turn to him and know that he is Yahweh. He is God of heaven and God of earth and that they would come to faith through the witness of faithful Israel. Now, Israel failed at this time and time again. 
But here we see the story of Rahab, of this ethnic outsider, hearing the work of God and turning to Him in faith, in true faith. And we see this story and this reminder that God works in surprising ways and that He can use anyone, anyone, to accomplish His good purposes. Let's finish the story with verses 15 through 24. Then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will enter encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all this land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So Rahab here keeps her word to the spies by leading them out of her house and through the city wall. This is an, an odd detail, but the ways that these cities were built, often they were built with a wall around them for protection. And some homes, especially if you were someone who was poorer, perhaps, some homes were actually built into the city wall, like Rahab's house. So the location of her home was strategic. The city gates had already been closed because it was night, but because her home was on the outside of the city wall, built into that wall, Rahab was able to lower the spies through a window to get out of her house and to escape. So you see the faithful and the sovereign hand of God here, that God would lead them just to the right place and to the right time. Rahab tells the men to hide for three days until the king's men have stopped searching for them and that then they may go. And in exchange, the spies promise to protect Rahab when they come back to take over Jericho. Now, did any of their instructions sound familiar to you? Rahab is told to tie a scarlet cord in the window and to gather her family inside when the spies enter the land to take it, and that if she does that, they will be protected. This is the same imagery we have of the Passover back in Exodus, when the Lord told the people of Israel 
to gather their families into their homes, to slaughter a lamb, and to paint that scarlet blood of the lamb over the doorway, and that they would be protected. So again and again, we are reminded of God's mercy here. And Rahab shows us that true faith responds with action. What is it that she does as soon as the spies leave? She ties that cord through the window. She is, she is ready and she is believing and trusting. Meanwhile, the spies go into the hills. They wait for three days, just as Rahab told them to do. And in those three days, she could have changed her mind and went and told the king. But she didn't because she recognized that God had given them the land. And this incident was an encouragement to the spies too as well. When they go back to Joshua, they say to Joshua, God has given us this land. Their interaction confirmed with them God's good promises to his people that they would come to pass. In closing, I want to go back and just make a couple comments about Rahab. Um, we'll hear more about her life in Joshua 6 and about her family being spared when the Israelites do come in to overtake Jericho because of her faith. But we don't just hear about Rahab in the Old Testament. The New Testament writers uphold her as this exemplar of faith, even with her questionable background. In fact, if you go read the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, we learn that Rahab is a part of the genealogy of Christ, and she is one of four women mentioned. This woman of questionable occupation, this woman who was not an Israelite by birth, is included in the genealogy of Christ. And in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews includes her in the hall of faith, saying that by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I think there are two things that I walk away from in this text, and I've mentioned them before, but I want to say them one more time. Um, first, God is faithful and God is sovereign. God led the two spies right where they needed to go. God made sure the Canaanites had heard of his works and were fearing him. And God was at work in the heart of this woman named Rahab, whom the spies encountered, who had turned to trust in the living God, the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh. As I look back on my own life, I can also look back and see the ways that God has been faithfully working out his good purposes, often in ways and plans better than I had imagined for his glory and for my good. Second, I'm reminded that no one is too far from the grace of God. That God often uses the people that you and I would not expect. And in this story, he uses a Canaanite prostitute for his good purposes. She comes to true faith. She becomes a part of the people of God. She's in the genealogy of Jesus himself. So God can and will use whomever he wills for his glory. And this gives me hope for the people in my life that I am praying for who are unbelievers. Um, that as I pray for them, I ought not to pray as someone who is, is hopeless and someone who is resigned and who is not sure if they will come to faith. But I ought to pray trusting that I believe in a God who can do impossible things.
it also keeps me humble because you see, I'm reminded that God can use anyone, even me. See, I know my own faults and my own shortcomings. And while it is so easy to point our finger at someone else's external unbecoming sins, I know the ways that I fail to please the Lord and the ways that I fall short of His glory. And I know the things in my own heart that might disqualify me from serving Him if He weren't gracious and merciful and forgiving. But He is, praise God, and He desires to use all of us in His grand story to make His good news known to the ends of the earth, that all might know of His mighty works, of His majestic name, and of His mercy. Praise God. Amen.